Alec, what is your, um, what's your name as a game show host? Um, Do you have one? You know, I gave it a lot of thought, and I just thought I'd just go with, uh, I, I should go with Alex Sheets, you know? <laughs> Oh, Alex, Alex Sheets. Alex Sheets. Yeah, no, Alex Sheets. Go kind of undercover. Yeah, got it's, it. It's a subtle one, but it's oh got Alex. It. It's a whole other person. Yeah. All right, so what are we doing? We got more minty questions or no? Yeah, these are our questions. Yeah, so these are our questions, so hopefully they'll be up on the screen. What? Yes? Um, well, I don't, okay. No, I've got them right here. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're introduced. Okay, so here's kind of what, what tonight's going to happen. Uh, Drew and, and Rachel and Randy and I are going to introduce kind of a little bit of our story, our marriage story, um, and then share some things that we, we're glad we did and share some things that we wish we would have done. And then uh, we're each going to share at some point, we'll share how you know if you're ready to kind of enter into this process. So uh, we've been thinking about this for a, little, for a little while. So two of us are going to go right now, Rachel and myself. And so I'm going to have Rachel go first. So introduce yourself. A lot of you don't know her. She does a lot behind the scenes. She used to do what Randy does now a couple years ago. And so anyway, Rachel, go ahead. Yes, so I am Rachel Vincent, and I'm married to Ryan Vincent. If you attend Sunnybrook, I think he preached probably a few Sundays ago. So some of you might know who he is or might have met him. Uh, but yeah, I've been volunteering with the table for, I don't know, a long time, probably a, maybe 11 or 12 years now, but then have been on staff with the table um, for like going on six years. Um, but my, as Scott said, I am a lot more behind the scenes. So I, it's, it's so, it's a little bit strange to be up here talking to you guys. Um, cause usually I know all the faces out there. And so enough time has passed that there's a lot of new students. Um, but I have been married to Ryan for, we will celebrate our 14th wedding anniversary, um, next month, actually. Um, a little bit of our story. I feel like it's interesting because we, um, we have kind of both sides of the coin in our relationship, so I'll explain that a little further. But um, some of my stories also what not to do, but I changed schools. I moved around a whole lot growing up um, and changed schools a lot. And I remember being 14 years old and being in the school cafeteria. I remember it so clearly, looking across and seeing Ryan and thinking, that is the hottest boy I have ever seen. <laughs> and this is the what not to do. I may have stalked him just a little bit, but I found out like who he was, what his name was, what classes he was in, what sports he played. And he actually had Okay, wait, this is this is pre-social media, right? This yeah, this took a lot of work, people. Yeah. Creeping on people was like effort back then. It was so serious she, effort. So yeah, we're yeah. pointing that out. It was, it was a job. So I had to do like talking and digging and trying to figure out who this guy was. Um anyway, we were on like block scheduling. And I remember walking into my geography class, like the new term, and he was in there. And he was like the cool kid. I was new at the school, and I was not a cool kid at that school. And I remember he would come talk to all the girls around me and not say anything to me. And I could never get up the nerve to talk to him. Anyway, this is how old school this was, okay? I was, I guess this has been 20 years ago. Um, he never said a word to me, but then one day he showed up at my house. And he couldn't even drive yet. His best friend, Matt, was driving him. He said, hey, do you want to go to Walmart?
Walmart? And I said, you know I do. And so we went to Walmart. <laughs> and we, we, neither one of us at that point in our lives, knew or loved or followed Jesus. And so our first date, we toilet papered somebody's house. That was actually what happened. So just to give you like a little history into, yes, us as a Vincent. So that summer I dated Ryan. Um, and like I said, we did not know and love and follow Jesus. So that's why I said we kind of have both sides of the coin. Um, my family moved again. And so he and I kind of stayed friends um, when I would come back and visit, you know, like a lot of my girlfriends. Sometimes I would go see him and say hi or whatever. Um, but when I was 18, I started following Jesus, really seriously following Jesus. And everything about my life changed. Um, and I was just pursuing him with everything that I had. Um, and I started college, and Ryan's best friend, Matt, the guy driving the car to Walmart, um, was going to my school, which was UCO, and so this was, again, okay, texting was like not even really, it was starting to kind of be a thing, but not really. We had something called AIM, which is where you could like message each other. It was like texting on the computer, okay? It was like how old school. So anyway, he somehow like got my username or something. He messaged me, he was gonna be up there, Anyways, he and I reconnected again in college. We both started following Jesus in college. Um, and so we then fell in love. And so it really, it was interesting to us. He is the only godly relationship I've ever had. Because after I started following Jesus, he's, he was the only relationship and, and we got married. But being able to kind of compare and contrast, um, you know, when we didn't know Jesus versus when we did has just been interesting um, and then we, so we got married, um, and we, we got married pretty quickly, and I will say, so we've been married 14 years, the first three years of our marriage were unbelievably difficult, because we had not been following Jesus all that long, and we were trying really hard to figure out how to do that well, and how to be married, and so the first three years, they were tough, man, they, they were really, really hard, um, and we still have hard seasons, but thankfully, kind of the last 11 um, have just have been have been had difficulties, but have been really really wonderful, um, and the Lord's been really good to us. So that's kind of our story and a little bit about us. So one thing that I wish I really wish that we had done differently is I wish that before we got married, we had agreed together on the church that we were going to attend after we got married because we were living in different. Ryan was going to OSU, so he lived here in Stillwater, um, and I lived in Edmond. And that was something that was super difficult. Our first year of marriage was we were trying to find a church. And it would have been so much easier on us if we had already decided that together before we got married and could get really plugged in and be growing. Um, and so that's my, that's my what I would do differently. One thing I'm really glad we did do is we spent an enormous amount of time with each other's families while we were dating. Um, and you might have heard it said before that you don't just marry a person, you marry a family. And I didn't know how true that would end up being. But although you do come together, you start your own family, there's so much that influences um, your spouse from their family of origin. And so I was really grateful that we got, we did a lot of that. And we got that chance to really get to know one another's families. All right, I get to go next. So I met my first wife uh, 24 years ago. And she is my only wife. She's also my favorite wife, so she's my first and favorite wife, um, but I met her almost 24 years ago. Uh, she was at a college in Missouri, Ozark Christian College. I was um, transferring from a junior college, 
to Ozark, and I didn't know anybody going to, going to this, this smaller school. It's a pretty small school. At the time, seven or 800 students, which is tiny, and uh, most of, maybe 500 lived on, on campus, and, and, and so it was a small little school. But I didn't know anybody except for I'd heard of this one girl named Ryan, because the summer before, she had served on a uh, camp team with, with the college to, to where my, my home church's youth group went. And I, at the time, wasn't helping with the youth group, uh, but my youth pastor and several of the students got to meet her and hang out with her for a week. And so I was going to visit the college, and they were trying to, the whole time, I had, I had my youth pastor and a couple high school students that went with us. And the whole time, they're, they're playing matchmaker games. They're going to try to hook me up with this girl, and I want nothing to do with it because um, I had gotten out of a relationship a few months, several months before, and I was, it was just me and Jesus. And that's how I wanted it. And so anyway, but it was, it was nice to, to see a faith. I'd seen pictures of her, recognized her, and um, totally ignored that first time. Totally ignored. Like, I knew anything about her, just, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, great. Um, but then eventually when I transferred there, uh, I ran into her again, and, and we struck up a friendship um, because we had mutual friends. She's the only, like I said, she's the only person I knew that knew people that I knew. And uh, she played basketball for the school. Um, I, I was in a dorm full of some of the basketball players, and so I ended up hanging out with some of the players and, and some of the girls, the guys team, the girls team. And uh, so anyway, we, we had a group of friends that hung out for, for a little while. And then we noticed that we were kind of interested in each other and had heard that. Both of us had heard that. And so we, we, uh, we went to get hot chocolate at a country kitchen to say, basically to say, I'm not interested in dating. And she said, yeah, me neither. And we're like, okay, cool, we're on the same page. And then the next day, I was, I, you know, there's a dorm area, and, or whatever, dorms and, and cafeteria, and I went down for breakfast, and she was there by herself, and I'm like, well, I'll just sit by it, because we're friends, I'll sit by it. And then uh, I sat by her, and then lunch, hey, I'll sit, why not? I mean, we're friends, we'll sit. So we kind of did the opposite of what we said we were going to do. We said we weren't going to date, we weren't going to, and then we end up just hanging out a lot. And like I said last week, there was a lot of pressure at Ozark. If you're hanging out with somebody, you're basically getting married in a week. Um, what's that? Bible college. Bible college. Vicious guy. It is. And so there was, there was pressure on our, we put pressure on ourselves, others put pressure on us. Uh, anyway, so we, we started dating by the end of that first semester. And we dated over the summer. I served on camp teams. And so we did the long distance thing. We sent letters to each other, kind of. Crazy. Uh, we sent letters and cards. Getting and, older and older. And yes. Older. Yes. <laughs> yes. Carrier pigeons. Yes. Yes. We did that. We did that too. And that was that was that was kind of the carrier pigeons were on its way out yeah. at that point in my in my life. Um, but anyway, so dated and then uh, kind of started. We we got to hang out with each other, dating a lot more that that next semester. And I played basketball, and, and uh, she did too. But anyway, um, we end up getting engaged within within a year of, of meeting. Bible college, folks. Married, <laughs> married six months later, and so we've been married 22 years, uh, 22 and a half years, and uh, 
Yeah, she's still my favorite wife. So some, some things that I would wish we would have done, okay, is I wish we would have focused, we both have talked about this. In fact, she looked at this list and she, she agreed. We wish we both would have focused on a friendship and having fun with, with others early on. We, I wish our first several months would have just been hanging out as friends with no pressure and, and hanging out with groups and having fun. Um, we, we both wish um, we would have had someone that we were accountable to, uh, to talk about our relationship and just to process how things are going and have someone say, slow down, um, would, have been, would have been nice. And then I wish, I wish we would have held off kissing on the lips until the late dating phase. That's, that's, that's one thing I have done. And if you heard me talk last week, uh, I can, that, that will explain a lot more. But I wish, I wish that would have been the case, that we would have waited, because that just, that, that, that just starts things moving in a direction, puts pressure, again, undue pressure that I think isn't necessary. Things that I'm glad we did, uh, we started getting to know each other, like, like I said, with a group of friends. Um, we, we, uh, we tried to be intentional about um, having, like, defining where we are in the relationship early on. And then after we got married, I'm really glad we got connected to a small group. That's one of the best things we did right after we got married. Jim Johnson actually moved into town, and he and his wife, he was going to be professor at Ozark. I had met him the summer before on camp teams, and so he moved into town the same summer we got married, and we started a small group with, with he and his wife and two other young couples, and that was the best thing. That, that really helped start our marriage off on a really good place. Other than that, I don't know what we would have done. We would have just been two young 20s married with and just trying to figure it out, but having them was awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, we have compiled a list of a lot of the uh, questions that are being asked. If there was a lot repeated, we put them down, and now we're going to go over some of them. So here is what we asked you. Um, first question, what is the best way to let someone know that you're interested in them? Splash, how do you intentionally pursue someone you have a crush on? So, like, you, you, get, you got the feelings, you got feelings, you know, and... Um, maybe you're starting a little bit of the stalker phase. Maybe we don't know. It's not recommended. We don't know. <laughs> um, and so, and so you're, just, you're wondering if you're weird. You're wondering like, how do I do this? Well, um, Rachel, since you seem to have a little bit of experience, why don't you? Uh, read off the okay, I will, but I don't know if your mic was on. Did everybody hear the question? Raise your hand if you heard the question. Oh, it's on the screen. Well, that's also helpful. Okay, awesome. Um, okay, I'm gonna tell you a quick little story about when I first started following Jesus and was active in my college ministry. Um, there was a guy named Trent. If you're here and your name is Trent, I'm really sorry, but I'm just about to kind of dog on you a little bit. So anyway, if we have one, I apologize. But Trent was the kind of guy who was plugged in at church. He was really active as well in the college ministry, and there were just a lot of things that I liked about him. And he started, I don't even know how he got my phone number, but he started calling me some. Um, anytime we were like in a group gathering, he was always like coming over, spending time talking to me. 
I distinctly remember one night in particular that he called me and he told me that he was pulled over on the side of the road and that the stars were magical and he was playing his guitar and could you play his guitar for me? And so I thought for sure a date is coming. <laughs> a date is coming, people. I was waiting. I kept thinking, okay, this date has surely got to be coming. It never, ever came. And I don't think that he... I do not think he maliciously was like trying to mislead me. I don't think that at all. But I think that the communication was really lacking. And so part of that was, was actually on me a little bit too. So I'm going to talk about if you are a guy, and I'll talk about that first. If you are a guy, I would so encourage you to be clear in your intention. Your intention might even just be, I think that I might like this girl, but I want to get to know her better. That is okay to say. Like, I think that I might like you and I would like to spend some more time like hanging out and getting to know you better. Is that cool? Can we do that? That's great, but there needs to be some sort of communication about what's happening. If, if, you're, if you're doing that and you're never saying anything to her without meaning to, you can confuse her like to high heaven and play with her emotions, which again, I don't think that guys that love Jesus are meaning to do that. But if you're not careful, it can happen. And so there is a little bit of the responsibility that I, I just want to encourage you that you carry. And I want to encourage you in a good way um, that it doesn't have to be, hey, let's get let's jump into a super serious relationship. It really just communicate where you're at. And it really can be, hey, well, what you said, Scott, like you wish that you and Ryan would have spent some more time getting to know each other as friends. But like, I think I might like you. That's OK to communicate. It does not have to be here's your promise ring or something. It can be where you're at. But girls, I also, I, I want to talk to you. I was under the assumption that as a Jesus follower, I needed to not ask a guy out. And I really regret not saying to Trent, dude, like, what's the deal? You know, I, I, I really wish that I had felt the freedom to do that. And I want to tell you, I think that you have the freedom to do that. If you're, if there's, something like that is happening and he's not really saying anything, it is totally okay for you to say to him, hey, I really enjoyed getting to know you. Would you want to go for coffee with me? Like that is absolutely all right. I think where we get a little tripped up um, is thinking that the guy has to be the leader in a relationship. And Drew's actually going to talk about this um, and answer it as, as one of our questions more fully. But here's the thing that you need to know. In a dating relationship, the guy is not the spiritual authority. So while there does need to be in a guy that you're thinking about, you know, dating and potentially marrying, the closer you get to marriage, you do want to see signs of leadership and that he's able and willing to do that. All those things are important. But as far as asking for clarity on where you're at or even asking a guy on a date or letting him know you're interested in him, that is okay to do as a girl. All right, next one. Okay. Question number two. Should someone actively struggling with porn be pursuing a dating relationship? If I still struggle with lust, should I date? So kind of a heavier topic. Um, yep. Scott, since you're one that deals with this a lot with uh, discipleship, what would you have to say? Yeah. Um, so without knowing, obviously, the... The, the, the person, I would say struggling with porn, I would assume that that means losing the battle, 
And if you're losing the battle, I think the answer is no to that question. Should you pursue dating if you're losing that battle? I think it means no. And I think, you know, when Drew talked about wholeness a couple weeks ago, or last week, was that last week? Wow. Um, last week, when we talked about wholeness, I mean, that is a sign of lacking wholeness. And, and, and I, you know, I say that with, with as much compassion and grace as I can because I understand that struggle. But I think there is, that is something that has to be, that is something that has to be gotten control of. Um, one of the things that Garris said that I thought was really, really helpful and I think is really insightful with, that, with this particular issue is, now there may be different circumstances. I think this is the case for majority of, of people and especially guys that struggle with, with pornography is, it is a sign of not knowing what to do with certain emotions. It's a sign of um, coping with life by escaping, um, and he didn't say this, but this is, this is what I believe is the case, is escapism, it's um, preferring fantasy over reality. If reality stresses you out or bums you out or helps you feel like you're not enough, then pornography offers a, a, a fantasy that is not reality, that is all fake, and that it, it allows you to escape reality. And so what I believe, when, when he said it, 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 uh, it those, who are, those who struggle with this don't know how to handle their emotions. And it's not that you just have more you know, testosterone. It's not that you just are more attractive, whatever, no. It just means you don't know what to do with that emotion. You don't know what to do with those feelings that, that come, and so you, you cope, and you medicate in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's a form of medicating because stress, boredom, um, whatever. So that would be the answer to that first one is no. The second one is, a little, is, is tough, obviously, about knowing the person, uh, because you can struggle well, I believe. Because all of us have things that we're tempted by. All of us have things that we can be, like, we have to be mindful of. Yes, you know, and I'll just use one that probably no one in this room struggles with, gambling, okay? You know, you, you drive by a casino and you, you just feel that, okay, none of, I would assume none of us have that, maybe some, some do. Uh, I don't have, I've never had that, but I know guys that do, because there's a high there. There's, there's this allure of, oh man, I could really use the money and, and I could really turn this into this, and, and so... You just you drive by it and, and the car just starts to turn and then before you know it you're in the parking lot and you, and you might as well go in and, and, and then you've lost all this money. So that is that is a, an example, but I think at some level all of us have these things, whether it's anger or gossip or lust or whatever, right? And so you can struggle well in that you can repent well when 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 sin takes place and you confess confess to God and you confess to someone else and you repent and you take steps to to prevent and all those things. Um, so that could that could mean what you mean by if that's what you mean by struggling with lust then that may be the rest of your life by the way. Uh, I remember talking to uh, a guy who had been retired from ministry for 15 to 20 years. He was in his late 80s and uh, 
and we was a group of guys, and we were asking him questions about ministry, and somebody asked him, you ever, when does is, when is the lust thing go away? And he's like, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. You know, and so it, it, it just, all he meant was, I still, have, I still have to bounce my eyes. I still have to um, not go there in my mind. And so that's struggling well. So that's how it ends up. Just wanted to add on to that, because I think Scott said something really good when he says, you know, one of the signs of struggling well is repenting well. Um, but there is, like, one sign of true repentance is that it is slowly but surely happening less. Um, so, like, if it's like, man, I do a really good job repenting every night after I stumble and mess up, I really repent well. That's not real. Second Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9 talks about the difference between uh, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And worldly sorrow just feels bad because it's bad and because this sucks and I don't like the way that I feel. I feel really guilty. But godly sorrow uh, turns to an actual repentance that turns to obedience and change. Not, not instantaneously, not, not magically. It, it, it's still work, but there, there are signs of struggling well is signs that over time, this is, I am, by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, winning this battle. And it's not defeating me over and over again every day. So. And I would just encourage you, if uh, this is something that you struggle with, Pornography, if it's masturbation, uh, addiction, all that kind of stuff, or an awkward laugh, your topic. Um, I really would encourage you to come talk to uh, one of the ministers. It's a weird topic, but uh, that's the first step that we're going to get into talking to you. Hold that mic right here, man. Just yes. right like that. Do I have to say that all again? There you go. I feel like, do I have to say that all again? There you go. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you got to say it, man. Hey, <laughs> guys, you got to go talk to these guys. <laughs> Because freedom happens when you confess and you walk through it. They are here for you. That's kind of what I said. <laughs> He's not going to say those words again. Don't make me. Okay. If you take your hand off the bottom. Yeah. Because the bottom is the receiver. Okay. That's helpful. That is helpful. All right. Next question. How do you know when your season of singleness is over? So we've been talking about singleness, using it for uh, growing into wholeness and holiness. And Drew, I think you either joked or you should have joked about you being the master of singleness. I was, yeah, I was yeah. the expert of singleness. So why don't the expert of singleness uh, talk uh, us through how do we know when it's over? Let's do this. We actually all put together just a few little quick bullet point tips. So let's just, we'll start with Randy down here since she hasn't had a chance and, uh, to talk yet. So yes. uh, just we'll just each give you a few kind of bullet points on this. Okay. So mine were, um, you can rejoice when friends are going on dates or dating and you are not yet. So you can uh, be encouraging in those relationships. You can say no to a date invitation, either recognizing that you're not quite ready or recognizing that they're um, not the person that you see long-term as being a good fit for. So you're able to say no. Uh, you're able to care for the opposite sex just as a brother or a sister in Christ first, not just a potential mate to be checked off the list. Um, you are able to accept rejection graciously, and you are able to be honest about how you thought a date went. I think back to Drew's last week. Cool. Yeah. Um, no, she meant no. She was not. Um, so being able to say honestly where, where you think this is going. Okay. 
Um, my list of some things would be you have a solid Christian community base of same gender friends, which is super important, even their feedback on if they feel that you're ready to date or how, how compatible you might be with someone you're interested in and just for accountability. Um, secondly, that you have established habits of prayer and Bible study and are actively seeking to serve the church. Um, and I know we talked about wholeness. So that's kind of a lot of those same ideas and um, pursuit of the Lord is actively happening. Um, you can admit to being wrong and apologize sincerely. And I would even take that a little further and say, like, you're, you're not um, easily offended by being told that you did something wrong or that you were wrong, but that you can kind of humbly walk through that and accept that. Um, and then also you're willing to end a relationship as soon as you realize marriage is not an option. So again, not that you have to go into it saying, this is the person I'm going to marry, you know, dating is for sorting that out. But once you do realize that, that you are mature enough to say, I'm not going to let this keep going. And you're able to have that conversation. Yeah, and all of these are signs of like the wholeness we talked about last week, which kind of is um, being able to be kind of content and comfortable with who you are, a happiness that doesn't depend on other things or other people to make you happy, a morality and integrity that doesn't kind of shift and change depending on who you are, um, all of those kinds of things. And, and, and as we mentioned, this isn't like a... Um, when This isn't a automatic destination. So when we ask, how do I know when my season of singleness is over. It's not like you just wake up one day and like, oh, I've suddenly checked all these boxes. It's time. Um, it's the, there, it, this is kind of a process, and so you're growing in these things. I would just add to, to what they said, um, one, that you are like um, involved well in community, in a good biblical and church community, because that is going to help with a lot of people giving, giving you advice and those kinds of things, and then adding on to that, I think this is really big, um, if there is an uh, older friend, like a mature godly friend who says you're ready. Like, that's a great, like, if you can ask somebody, hey, I'm, where do you think I'm at with this? Do you think I'm at a spot where I, where I should be able to, to do this? And, and, and if you know someone who can help you with that from the outside, I think that's huge. Yeah. A couple I have growing in a relationship with God and, and, and by that desiring to stay on the path of wisdom. So I talked about this last week, that wisdom is a path, it's not a destination. And so this, this idea of staying on a path and recognizing when you veered off and recognizing when you're staying on. So if you have a desire for that. Um, Galatians 6, 2 through 5 is a really a great text. I would encourage you to read that later. It talks about bearing one another's burdens and it talks about carrying your own load. So a responsible person carries their own load. In, a, in other words, like a load would be like a, a backpack going, going hiking with all of your stuff in it. You don't want someone else carrying that. That's yours. They, they've got their own load to carry. You carry your own load. But if someone sprains their ankle and if someone or whatever, then all of a sudden you work together to carry that person's burden because they can't carry it right now. And so a, I think... If, if you are a person who's growing in, owning your own responsibility, which, which could mean taking care of everything that you own and the, what you're responsible for, but also could mean like owning your, your life, like your past and the junk that may be there, 
and struggles and like you recognize those things, but then also being willing to um, take responsibility for others at some level, like um, carry others' burdens and you're, you're, you're being a good friend to other people. Those are signs that you're willing to enter into a relationship. Remember I said last week that a marriage is, is two people who can stand alone with God and be content, but choose to enter into this covenant relationship in order to carry one another's burdens and then enjoy the benefit of being married as well. And being married means carrying a burden, means carrying burdens. So that's a, that's a decent start. And then the third one is just like, I think what Randy said, but I, I wanna reiterate it because it's really important. Seeing the person you're interested in for who God has made them to be, not for what they can do for you. And so all of these things are just things that we think, we think are wise. We also, I would say, be willing to bet, maybe with the exception of Drew, none of us had all of these down before we entered into this process. Drew? Yeah, pretty much did. Okay, Drew is perfect. <laughs> the rest of us failed miserably. Um, but we did not, we did not have, so when I say that, don't go, oh, okay, good, I can, yeah. no, what we're, what we're saying is, these are just things, that's why we didn't hand them to you, because we didn't want you to go home and just feel bad, that, oh, I can't. No, we just want you to think wise. Um, last question before we take a little bit of a break. Um, what are some red flags that a relationship might not be healthy, holy, or wise? I thought I had that there. Um, Randy, why don't you get some on that? Yes. Uh, so I love this question. It's one I actually get to spend a lot of time, uh, specifically with young ladies, talking about as they begin dating, and even talking with now older women that I hang out with, thinking back to the things that we've learned and things um, that we wish we had looked for differently at different seasons in our lives. And so uh, I, I'm glad we have this question in here. So I am I'm kind of focusing in on some general things that I see as warning signs, but this is not a comprehensive list, and I think it's always good for you to be talking with that mature believer that knows you well and in your community well, that you can ask more specific. So this will seem kind of broad, give you some, some big things to look for, um, but as you have questions, to meet with someone intentionally and ask, okay, are these normal things? Because I think that was something I learned being young and dating, like, I, is that normal? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea if this is normal. And being able to talk with someone that's been down that road before is such a great tool. So we use that. Um, but here are a couple of things I would say are warning signs. Uh, if it is beginning to look like you are missionary dating, um, that is a, a big sign that it is is not going to go well. So if they have not spent time in God's Word, if they've not been to church, if they have not um, are not seeking to glorify the Lord in a lot of areas until all of a sudden they met you, like that's their turning point it's going to feel a lot like missionary dating, and that's it's not long-term going to be real healthy. So you need to kind of take a step back from that, and should the Lord keep growing them and maturing them, and you see that fruit later on in life, again, you're looking for the proof of life given over to Christ, not the potential of maybe what could be someday. Um, but look for the proof of, of Christ redoing their heart, transforming them, and then later down, that may be something you can return to, but maybe not right here at the beginning. Um, parental dynamics. So Rachel kind of touched on this, and I think even Scott did last week. Like when you get married, you are you're coming into the family. That's going to be a piece of it, um, and you're eventually going to have kids, and then grandparents are there all the time because they they are so excited for grandkids. And so be kind of watching. How do they communicate about their families? Um, do they show honor and respect to them? 
Uh, do they love them well? Uh, even as adults, right? You're adults making adult decisions, um, but they're still your parents. So be listening for those cues on how their family, family dynamics work. Um, and if there are, is a lot of disrespect there, that's probably a sign that there's some unhealth that needs to be worked out, because uh, that's not what we're called to do as Christians. Um, we're to honor and respect our parents. Uh, we kind of touched on this just a minute ago, sexual struggles. Like if you are finding yourself in, in really um, impure ways together early on in your relationship, you need to take a break. You, you need to separate. Um, this is only going to get harder. You're not ready for this. Uh, that's a big warning sign for problems down the road. So go ahead and call it what it is right now. We need to take, we need to take a break. This is not going to work well. Uh, strong emotions. Uh, this one has come up quite a bit lately. Um, so if someone is really struggling with uh, anger or bitterness or an unforgiveness, like they just can't seem to let things go, uh, that's only going to intensify as a relationship uh, comes together more, specifically when you get married and you're together a lot. So if you're noticing those things early on in dating, there's some unhealth there that's going to need to be worked out before it continues into a, a long-term relationship. Come on. Oh. Amen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one would be uh, just listen for how they use their words. We, we did a lot in Ephesians about what we focus our attention on, and words was a piece of it. Ephesians 4 was we don't have this foul language, which is not just bad words, it's this useless fruit. Like it's just talking just to talk. It's not pointing to anything bigger, um, but letting our words actually build others up. So be listening for how they talk to other people just in general. Like, are they hoping um, to use their words to and to bless them and help them look more like Christ? Or are they more cutting with their words, trying to get a laugh all the time, which is fun, but can they be serious when they need to be serious? Can they encourage when they need to encourage um, and be a blessing to the church in that sense? And then the last one, which I think we've all touched on and we'll probably hit multiple times, is if your community has concerns, um, then you need, to, you need to listen to those things. Alright, uh, that's it for the first half. You guys are welcome to take a little bit of a break, go to the bathroom, get a, get a drink of water, um, try out any of those Christian pickup lines, guys. I'm telling you, they work. They work, you gotta believe in them. But uh, we'll come back in about five minutes or so. I think, I mean, you kind of started to answer the first part of it, which is before you can do that in a relationship, guys, you have to build that foundation first with the Lord. And I mean, I, I feel like we're, there's a lot of things that we're repeating. And so I hope that what you're taking from that is how essential they are. So not only that you are establishing um, Jesus truly like as complete God, Lord of your life, um, but that you are developing spiritual disciplines as an adult. Now that you are, you're on your own, you're in college and you know, you're, it's different than going to church with your parents. I mean, each one of you is here tonight because you want to be here. Um, and so it, it really is saying, okay, I, I am setting, I'm kind of setting like the course of my life. And, um, 
cultivating spiritual disciplines, being in the Word every day, spending time in prayer, um, reading good books, getting very involved yourself in serving and in the church. That's where the foundation starts. When that when that is there, it is so much easier to merge those things um, and have a good foundation in a relationship when that's already been established and kind of what you were just saying, Randy. Um, so that's huge. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I would encourage you to spend time with godly couples. Um, and I know for some of you, you know, everybody's story is a little bit different. So like my husband did not grow up in a home where he had a mom and dad who were married and loved Jesus and, and modeled that. It just didn't happen. And so I remember after we got married, like I remember pretty, pretty vividly him trying to seek that out and figure out, okay, what does that even look like to be a spiritual leader? Because I do not know. And I think I had all these expectations of him that he had no idea that I had because he'd never seen that model. So I think the more time that you can spend around godly couples, and that that can be going out for coffee, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, if you're serving, let's say you're serving with um, with kids on Sunday morning and you know you are doing that with other people, that, that can be a great time to just think through questions you want to ask. Like, hey, how do you and your wife do this? Or how do you and your husband do that? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be just like a sit-down, long, drawn-out thing, again, although it can. So spending time with godly couples, um, get premarital counseling once you do decide to get married. That is huge. I think, though, one of my biggest takeaways that I hope that you're just going to tuck away and always remember is that building that foundation doesn't stop once you get married. You will do everything that you can, I hope, to prepare and then you will encounter roadblocks when you get married. I, I mean, I remember, I knew that that was going to happen, yet I was still so surprised those first few years with how difficult they were. Um, and the thing that I'm going to tell you is that good marriages, godly marriages, happen with outside help. That's what I want to encourage you, that if you know somebody who's been married for a decade or longer, and you would say they have a great marriage, Chances are unbelievably high that they've been to marriage counseling at least once. That's what I'm going to tell you, is that many, many times it is good to get outside perspective and bring godly people who are, who are older, who are wiser in to help you navigate those things together. And so do everything you can to start that foundation, but realize that once you get married, it does not end. It will be a lot of work together, and it will be a lot of work even bringing others in to help you with that process. Yeah, I'll just add on quickly in terms of establishing a foundation. And I assume if in my relationship, meaning there already is one, but if a couple ways is just challenge and encourage each other in your Bible reading. So if, if there's if no Bible reading is happening in either one of you, then challenge each other to start a plan with a friend or maybe start one together. Um, there's a question a little later about what are some spiritual boundaries that you shouldn't cross when you're dating. Um, and so I don't think it's, it's, it's like you guys are feeding each other spiritually. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. But I think you, as a friend, you could do a Bible reading plan together. But more, more, it's, it's more about what did you get from that? And being interested in what they learned and, and what they are getting from the Bible, what God is teaching them. So challenging them to read and, and encouraging them with what they're learning. 
Um, next question that we want to have. Uh, what leading role does the boyfriend play in a dating relationship? We've talked about it a little bit, but I'm, I'd like to start with Drew, if you could give us your thoughts, and then move to having a female perspective on what, is the, what role does the boyfriend play in a dating relationship? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rachel hit on this, you know, earlier that we believe that, like, when you are in a dating relationship that you aren't actually the spiritual leader in that. But this question is based on the truths that we talked about in Ephesians 5, that the husband is to be the spiritual leader in the family. Um, that he is to, it says that in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, cleansing her to make her holy, that's how husbands ought to love their wives. And so they want to love them in a way that helps to make them holy and, and there should be leading in the discipleship of the family and those kinds of things. Um, and so... Uh, so, so we know that this happens as a husband. This doesn't actually, this isn't officially happening as a boyfriend. Uh, but I do believe actually that there are some patterns that take place for the, that leadership looks like as a husband. Some patterns and some habits that can begin to develop that you can work on even before you're married. So um, this, this doesn't sum it all up. But I think if I were to sum up, and I'm still learning this. Even I have 14 years in marriage. Are we 14 years yet? We're 14 years. Yep, 14 years of marriage. Thank you, Rachel. Um, uh, I'm still learning some of these things, but if I were summing up uh, what spiritual leadership looks like in the home, I would, I would put it at these three things. First, it means service. That's kind of the first definition Paul gives, that Christ gives himself up for the church. Um, second, it means initiating. So men initiate conversations, important conversations and important steps that the family needs to take. Important conversations about uh, the spiritual realities in our home. Uh, important conversations about finances. Important conversations about how we're going to work together to raise and discipline our kids. And those kinds of things. Those are things that, that guys are generally supposed to, it doesn't mean a girl can't ever bring those things up. It just means it's good that a guy is thinking along those ways and initiating those kinds of things. And then third is I think men are generally supposed to be setting kind of the spiritual temperature of the home. Um, that is, they, they make it, um, it it's part, partly my role to make sure that our home is a place where we talk about things like Jesus. Uh, it's, it's partly my role to make sure that we are a family that is going to church, to make sure that we're praying together as a family and those kinds of things. And again, that's not to say the wife never does those things. Sometimes men's role is trying to, they know that their, their wife is really good at teaching the Bible um, to their kids and those kinds of things. And the man's role is to help initiate and say, hey, tonight, guys, we're all getting together and we're going to read. Mom's going to read a story to us. And do it. so it's that kind of stuff. So as a, as a unmarried man, as a boyfriend, you can do all, you can serve, you can you can make it a practice that you put other people's needs and your girlfriend's needs that like that you're working to serve them. Um, second thing is you can make sure in your relationship that you are initiating conversations about important things, about uh, this, about Bible reading, about um, how we're growing, how you're growing specifically, how I'm growing, that these are the kinds of things. And as the relationship progresses and more serious things need to be talked about, like future plans that you're bringing those things up and, and thinking through those. And then I think you can sort of set a spiritual temperature for the relationship that um, here's the truth. The longer in any relationship, this is, this is husband, wife, this is boyfriend, girlfriend, this is mother, 
daughter, this is father, son, this is any, the longer in any relationship that you go without ever talking about spiritual things, the harder and more awkward it is to talk about spiritual things in that relationship. Some of you guys know this. Some of you guys know if you went home for Thanksgiving right now and at the Thanksgiving table, you, you just, you know, kind of set up there and said, so everyone tell me how your relationship with Jesus is right now. Like, some of you guys know that would be the weirdest, most awkward thing in the world because a precedent was set in your family that we don't talk about those kinds of things in our, in our home. It wasn't like a we're against it. You just never did. And, and so you can, you can set kind of a temperature in a relationship because these are the kinds of things we talk about together. Um, and, and I think that that can, little bits of that can happen even before you're married. So, I don't know. Girls, what would you add on to that? Anything? No, I, I think... I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think I've had conversations with girls before because I think there is this desire that, okay, I want a godly marriage and I want to make sure that he's being the spiritual leader. But just knowing that that distinction is there, that in dating, it, it, he, is, he is not a spiritual authority over you. But you want to look for signs that he is that he is growing in that, that he has the desire to do that, the willingness um, that he wants to and that he's trying to seek out, okay, how can I do that well? And so that he is, as Drew said, bringing up, bringing up those things and talking, I would, yes, talking about the Lord a lot, even checking in on you with that and how is your relationship with the Lord or um, those types of things is so true that the more that that is just the habit of your relationship, the easier that is going to be. Um, and for me, like I said, I, when Ryan and I got married, he did not know how to be the spiritual leader of our home, but he was very willing. Um, and so he was able to look to guys who had been married and who loved the Lord, um, you know, and, and figure that out kind of along the way. So the willingness was there, though, and the desire to, to do what was right and to step up and to seek that out. Awesome. Okay, our second to last question. Um, how do I know if I'm idolizing my BF or GF? Randy, why don't you tell us about idolizing the boyfriend girlfriend? Yes. Um, I actually expanded this just a little bit because I think we can also um, put in this category idolizing marriage itself. Um, and so I've kind of I've kind of went at that angle. I think it's Tim Keller in his book Counterfeit Gods that calls us uh, idol factories. Like we are designed to worship something. The Lord has uh, put that in us. So we're going to worship something. It, the question is, what is it that we're worshiping? Uh, and if it's anything outside of God, then that is idolatry. So that's kind of the definition we're working with. Anything that we have placed above the Lord in any category. And typically it's honestly good things or neutral things. Uh, money or time or a relationship um, by themselves are not bad things. They're, they can be really good, but when we elevate them to the next level and make them a God thing, that's where we have a, an issue. So I would say some good reflective questions for you to ask yourself would be where do your thoughts go when like it takes little effort, like you just instantly go there as soon as you have a, a moment in between classes. What do you daydream about? Um, where does your mind just naturally tend to go? Is it things of the Lord? Is it this relationship? Or is this that idea of being married someday? Or maybe what if it doesn't happen? Uh, those types of questions kind of indicate where you're currently at. Um, another good question to ask is what happens when you start to think about losing this relationship? 
Like the loss of this, what does that do to you? Like does it almost get this debilitating anxiety filling in you like you just can't, you just can't function? Um, that's a good sign that this has been elevated higher than it needs to be. Uh, a similar question to the last one would be, what prayer left unanswered would kind of make you consider leaving the faith? So if the Lord doesn't give you this something, like if this relationship doesn't work out, or if the Lord has you single for longer than you expected, like does that begin to question your foundation of who God is and what he's calling you to do? Like does it start to ruffle you a little bit? Um, and the last one I would throw out is, does this relationship help you delight in the Lord? Does it lead you closer to him, like wanting to be in his word, wanting to be with his people, or does it actually distract you from those things and it wants to pull you away? Um, that, that's not a great spot to be in. You want to elevate the Lord above all things. Um, another incredible tool that the Lord has been so good to bless us with is prayer itself, like to ask him to reveal where you have some idols building up in your life. Ask him to expose those things. I, I believe that he will do that for you. So ask fervently, probably on a regular basis, not just when you're thinking about relationships, but just in life. Where am I raising things higher than they need to be, Lord? Where am I not worshiping you well? Um, and then the last is when you recognize this, like should this boyfriend or girlfriend, you, you walk through those steps and realize like the Lord is exposing that. Like to repent and then ask the Lord to give you a heart for him. Like to seek him more than you seek other things. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers, Jim Wilkins, says, uh, we cannot love what we do not know. And so spend a lot of time just pouring over scripture. Love him well, worship him well, and that will help you fight idols. Can I jump in and just say one quick, you know, I, I always think there is help in couples that enjoy being with each other, but are okay not being with each other. That are like, okay, like the, the couples that can come to things like the table and don't, don't always have to be sitting right next to each other all the time. Um, and, and again, it's, I'm not saying you can't sit next to your boyfriend or girlfriend. We're not watching you, by the way, and just seeing if you sit together and judging you or anything like that. But, um, but just uh, there's, there's a little bit of a sign of health there that goes, okay, this person is okay on their own. This, they, they, they really like each other. They enjoy being each other, but they, they make it fine if they're not with each other every second and all that kind of stuff. I think, I think that's healthy. Yeah, which goes to what we said, that a healthy relationship is two people who can stand alone with God and be content, but choose to be in a relationship. So, and that speaks to that. Awesome. Thank you. Um, our last question that we have that was sent in, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, honestly. Um, it goes like this. If I am same-sex attracted, what do I do? And I know there's a wide range that that could be. Um, feeling same-sex attracted thoughts, and maybe I experimented in this field before, I don't know. Scott, how would you answer this question? Yeah, we, we chose to answer this question for a couple reasons, and so a few things I want to say, and then Drew has something to share, but first is, like, none of us on this, on this stage would have any problem talking to you about, about that. I mean, that's not anything that um, would scare us or anything. I've, I've had a handful of students over the last 10 years that I've been able to talk through and talk about that particular um, struggle and or issue and um, would love to do that. And what I, what I generally say is, in the same way I would, anybody attracted to anybody, 
I would, I would encourage them to seek the Lord about it and seek the Lord with what He would want them to do with it. So if you're attracted to anybody, um, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And, and that's a, any, any move towards somebody, I think, a healthy move towards somebody is to first move toward God. God, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me, how do you want me to act on this? And, um, and I know that question, and I know that that doesn't scare God. or doesn't. I mean, so the, the thing about the Lord is He meets us where we are. And, and what we think is going to be a big deal isn't a big deal to Him. And so that's what I would encourage you is, is exactly what Randy said. You, you can't love what you don't know or who you don't know. And so the more you love the Lord, the more you spend time with the Lord, let Him lead you in that and, and see where that goes. Um, but there is, there's lots that we could talk about that. And the other thing I want to say is in January, if all goes well and you guys come back and we are able to meet and, 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 and hang out on Sunday mornings, our college class, this past semester we, we dealt with racism and politics and what else? Is that it? Knowing God. Knowing God. So, relationship with God. So, we, we hit some heavy things. We're in, in January, we're going to do this series called Grace and Truth. And it walks through um, all the, what the Bible says about the LGBT community, about, um, about same-sex attraction. It, it walks through all the research and all the, all the things that the Bible says. But... But primarily, in, in how do we understand this issue? And how do we love people in this community? How do we love uh, those that are in that? So um, we're going to spend about six weeks in that. And, and I promise you, all of your questions will be answered by this resource. A guy named Preston Sprinkle, which he has a really, really funny name. Preston Sprinkle. Um, he's, a, he's a brilliant man, and he is probably, I think... The best guy who, who is addressing that and talking about it and really, really loving um, the LGBT community well. So, there's some thoughts. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I want to try to not talk too much too long, but this is something that, like, matters. Uh, this, this one matters a lot to me. Um, one of my brothers is gay, and so this has been something that our family has talked to and worked through a lot, and, and, and as Scott said, I mean, we've talked with a number of students who've come through our ministry who've, who've wrestled with this very question. Um, and I, I assume by the way that the question is asked, I may be wrong, but I assume by the way the question is asked that there's an understanding of the truth of what the scripture says about this. I mean, that is that, that from, from the very beginning when God created male and female to be together and he called them suitable for one another, that is like two different but compatible um, or, or uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Complementary um, people come together from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the end. Every time a marriage relationship or a romantic relationship is lifted up and celebrated, it is always between a man and a woman. And the very few times where same-sex relationships are, uh, are, are mentioned, specifically in like Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and 1 Timothy 1, I believe, um, I think that's right, First Timothy 1, uh, it's always spoken against. It's always spoken as a relationship that is not the way that God designed for things to be. 
Um, and, and so I, I assume that the, the way this is asked is kind of like, I, I get that. I get that this isn't how God designed for it to be, so then what am I supposed to do? Um, and, and I would say that there are basically three directions that this could go when you realize this. Actually, it's two, and, and that, second, that second direction could kind of could, could end one of two different ways. So the first way to do this is to, um, is to just ignore what the Bible says and to just reject it and just go, I don't, I, this is what makes me happy, this is what I want to do, so I'm not going to listen to that. And to either neglect the scriptures or to try to twist them to make them say what you want them to say so you can go, I'm free to pursue whatever I want. Um, and this is, um, I don't talk about this much when we're on a microphone or being recorded. This might be the first time I've ever talked about this, but this is what my brother has chosen to do. Uh, my brother that I love very much has chosen to, to kind of be done with the Bible because it doesn't fit. He knows what makes him happy or he feels like he knows what makes him happy. And so he doesn't want to follow that. He wants to follow his own heart. Um, but what I've watched for some time is that um, this thing that my brother has thought is going to satisfy him doesn't. And, and he lives kind of a restless life trying to find stuff that will fill him up or relationships that will fill him up. Um, so that's one path you can go. The other path that you can go is to trust that God is good and that the designs and the plans that he's put in place through his scriptures and for you and your own life and your own heart that they are good. Uh, this, this verse has been rolling around in my head the last couple weeks. Our D group has been reading through John 10 and this famous verse in there that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And I believe that, have it abundantly, that Jesus, that God is not about stealing your joy, but about giving you the most joy possible in him. And so even when we give up things that feel very near and dear to us, um, things that feel very natural to us, Jesus calls all of us, that, that desire in me that is from the, from the moment I was born, I've had this desire to impress and please people and get them to like me. And Jesus says to me, you need to die to that, Drew. Even if it feels natural, even if it feels like it's just who you are, you need to die to that because what I have for you is better. And, and so the second is to trust God, and two, two things might happen if you choose to do that. And I'm not making a promise on either one of these. But what you might find is that eventually these feelings might naturally or supernaturally begin to change a little bit. And that you may find yourself... Um, as you try to be faithful to God, developing feelings towards the opposite gender. That's happened for my favorite writer, Andrew Wilson. That's happened for this spoken word artist that, that we love, Jackie Hill Perry. She wrote a book called uh, Gay Girl, Good God, um, and she tells her story about that. That's happened for this writer, Rosaria Butterfield, who wrote a book, um, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, talking about how she, was, she lived in a lesbian relationship for 20, 30 years, a committed lesbian relationship, came to Christ and then came out of that, and she's now actually married to a minister. Um, so that's happened, and, and that may or may not happen. I don't know for sure um, if that will be your story. The, the other path is that, truthfully, these feelings might not ever go away. They might always be there. Um, and that's the case for another writer that I really, really like, Sam Alberry, um, who's written a book called Is God Anti-Gay? And he has, he's a minister in England, and has his whole life experienced feelings of same-sex attraction. And so he has decided, I might feel these things, but if I'm going to be faithful to God's word and trust his goodness, I'm not going to act on these things. And, and 
his story, and this is Wesley Hill is another guy who's that, their story and their testimony is that even though it is sometimes hard, that it has been good, um, that they have not been robbed of anything. I would, I would give you this one piece of practical advice. Um, you will need to, if this is you, lean deep into the family of God. Lean deep into the family that is the church, because I think that can be the hardest thing, is feeling like I might not get to have a family if I can't follow through on these things. Um, and God has promised you that you do have a family. Um, and, and he wants to give you that family as church, and so you will, you will need to lean deep into that. I mean, there's more that, we could, more that I could talk about, but I'll, I'll leave that. I'm going to add one more. Um, the reason that that sounds like such an impossible or difficult thing is, is because, and this, this goes for all of us, is because our culture has elevated sex and romance to the highest human experience, like the highest human need is to, is, to, is to have that kind of relationship. And so you've, you've been raised in a, a culture and you breathe the air of a culture and it, you see it in every commercial, in every show, in every magazine, in every Instagram, article, whatever, every advertisement, you, it, sex sells everything. And so therefore we are taught from a very early age that that is the highest human experience. And that is not what the Bible describes at all. And so that's why it's, it's it, it, when, I, when I realized that, all of a sudden this, this issue, that particular topic became not that big a deal because it's the same, it's, it, it goes for all of us. And so this, the Bible describes the highest human experience is to have a, an intimate relationship with our creator, is to know him. And so everybody can do that. And that's what we're created and made for. And so um, that's why it sounds like such a, uh, I, I think a lot of uh, heterosexual Christian people go, man, I just hate that. I, I, would, I, I hate that. I want, I want I, everybody deserves, I think, want, you know, but we get really tripped up because we think I wouldn't want that. And so I wouldn't want that for them. And so therefore, and we start doing things with the Bible, we start making things say certain things that aren't there. And, and when the Bible actually says, now, loving God, knowing and loving God is, is, is what we were made for. Everything else is, is second. So. Drew just asked if I want to rap it. I don't rap. <laughs> I was asked one time to rap, and you know that story, and I'm not going to go there. Um, so, yeah, tonight is about, like I said, um, what we think is wise counsel based on our experience, based on our time in ministry, based on our time in mar being married, and based on the, the, all of us have had lots of conversations with married people who are struggling. And so what we're describing is just a path of wisdom. And we would love to talk to you more about that, any of these things. There were a lot of questions that were turned in. We actually have a whole bunch of others that we could have talked through. And so if you had a question that didn't get answered, we please come up and, and talk to us or reach out and talk to us. The next, the very last slide is, has our phone numbers on there. So please reach out, reach out to us. And, um, and if you're going to be in town over after Thanksgiving, we can maybe get together six feet apart and talk through that. Um, why isn't Rachel up there? Mm -hmm. What? I, 405 <laughs> 922 <laughs>
0195. Okay, shoot. We can get you that number. You can try to text Alec. It's a place of Rachel, but you will quickly be. Rachel, Alec will forward all texts to Rachel. Um, so anyway, also I have some books here to give away. Ordered a few more. I know a few of you came up and were interested in, in those. I've got three of the dating one and four of the seriously dating one and two of the married one. So um, come up and grab one of those if you're interested. And other than that, I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll be done. You got something? Oh, we got announcements. No announcements? Okay. Let me pray. God, I thank you for our time. I pray that it was fruitful and beneficial. And I pray that more than anything, God, um, your truth was loudest. And that anything that was said in here that does not line up with you, God, I pray that we wouldn't remember it. But ultimately, God, that we would, um, that we would walk away knowing a, a better, a clearer understanding of your path of wisdom so that we can walk on it and follow you. So God, we trust you with these things and uh, trust you with our time. And it's all, in all these things I ask in Jesus' name, amen.